Now this morning, I want you to take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the passage that uh, Jason read for us in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, and we're going to look at the first four verses that give us a very clear understanding of who this little baby is. Now, Christmas is uh, all about giving and receiving of gifts, but we need to know the nature of the gift that was given when that little baby entered our world. And this particular passage of Scripture gives us an inside look at all that uh, was encompassed when Christ came that first time to be our Savior, our Lord, and our Master. So keep your Bibles open to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to open our minds to God's truth today. Now, Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for just the joy of being in your presence. It's so wonderful to sing these carols of Christmas and to lift our hearts and worship and praise to you and to just enjoy this wonderful time of the year. Uh, Christmas is something that needs to be celebrated every day, but Lord, especially at this time, as we remember this incredible entrance of the Lord Jesus into our world, we want to just pause. Pause from all the busyness and all the, the things that have disrupted us over the last few days. And for these next several moments, just focus upon you. You are the reason for the season. It's not the presence under the tree. It's the presence of the baby Jesus that makes all the difference in the world. And so, Lord, I pray that our hearts would be in tune with you this morning, that we would listen to your voice, that you would speak to us, and that we would leave here with a clearer understanding of exactly who this little baby is. In the matchless name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, if you haven't noticed, uh, Christmas is coming. Uh, you see it everywhere. It's coming. It's coming. Christmas is right around the corner. This past week, I came across an interesting paraphrase of the well-known Christmas tune, The Twelve Days of Christmas. The last stanza goes like this. On the twelfth day of Christmas, my littlest love gave to me Twelve dogs a-leaping, eleven cars a-creeping, ten fingers a-gripping, nine toes a-tripping, <coughs> excuse me, eight drinks a-spilling, seven glasses filling, six friends and things, five telephone rings, four colored walls, three loud calls, two kisses free, and one mother up a pear tree. <clears throat> Hurry up. I can't wait. How long will it take? Get out of my way. I saw this first. These are the conversations that uh, accentuate our time when we're with one another during this time of year. And all too often, it's those kind of conversations that leave us experiencing Christmas only in terms of headaches, hassles, and heartburn. It's interesting, Gary Collins, professor who I studied under at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, wrote a very interesting little book entitled Coping with Christmas. And he makes an interesting observation. He says, quote, 
a lot of people are like Christmas trees. They get all spruced up at Christmas. They decorate their homes and businesses and even hang wreaths in their churches. But underneath all the tinsel and decorations, they are dead. Joyless and boring people. Surrounded and twined by the symbols of Christmas, they're putting on a happy front, trying not to let the world and themselves see that they have missed the whole point of this celebration, unquote. But for the Christ follower, Christmas is much more than just the celebration of glittering symbols. Christmas is the celebration of someone. Christmas is the presentation of Christ to the world. To celebrate Christmas without understanding who this little baby is, is to miss all the message that God wants us to grab onto today. It's to miss all that he has done for us and to miss all that was involved in this holy moment in time when the Savior invaded our world and made himself known to us. Now, it's interesting here that the writer to the Hebrews is very helpful at this point. He tells us in these opening verses a beautiful description of God's final revelation to man, his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe today we can recapture some of the dynamic declarations that are set forth in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and in the process discover really what Christmas means in a new and special way. First of all, Christmas is a declaration of Christ's coming. And the writer, first of all, notice he focuses on the person of Jesus Christ. Look at verses 1 and 2. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but, put a circle around that, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The first thing that we discover about this baby is that he is the mouthpiece of God. He has spoken, he has declared himself once and for all to us by his son. In other words, what people were in the dark about, about God, God has made known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has declared himself once and for all who he is through his son who has entered our world. In the Old Testament, you have what Bible scholars call progressive revelation. In other words, God reveals his will to the prophets, but the revelation is never complete. He speaks to Israel through Moses one way. He speaks in another way through Isaiah and Jeremiah. He speaks in a still small voice to Elijah. The progression is not from less truth to more truth, but rather from promise to fulfillment. Christ does not come to contradict anything that the prophets have said. He has come to fulfill and to fill all their prophecies full of meaning and to complete the revelation that God wants us to know about his son Jesus. 
the prophets talked about what was involved in the coming of Christ. They looked forward to it. We look backward to it because we are in a different generation, a different time and space. But we need to understand that God has spoken to this universe and he has spoken by his son. Now, let me illustrate this. Ezekiel revealed the glory of God in Ezekiel chapter 1, Ezekiel chapter 3, but Christ radiated it. Notice in verse 3, the sun is the radiance. And I'm going to get back to this in just a minute, what that really means. Isaiah expounded the nature of God as holy and righteous and merciful in Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 11. But Christ personally expressed it. Notice, he is the exact, in verse 3, he is the exact representation of his being. In other words, if you have seen Jesus Christ, you have seen the living God. Jeremiah describes the power of God in Jeremiah chapter 1 and chapter 10. Jesus Christ displays it. Notice, he sustains in verse 3, all things by his powerful word. He holds the world together. Christ fulfills and completes everything which God had initially said through the Old Testament prophets and sages. And the writer contrasts the nature of the prophets to the nature of Christ. Notice the prophets are human beings, they're human instruments, supernaturally empowered to record and relate God's truth that he revealed to them. This comes out very forcefully in the original because as you read the, the text in verse 2, in the original Greek, there is no definite article before the Son. In other words, he has spoken to us through the very nature of his Son, the very character of his Son. When it says that God has spoken to us by his Son, it speaks of the divinity of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is God. He's not part God, not half God. He is fully God, but he's been clothed with human flesh. The absence of that article tells us that Christ is divine. He was and is today God Almighty. He is the final revelation of God to man. He, he is, has been revealed to us, not in words, but in personality, in a person, the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is the fulfillment of what the prophets and the sages had said about the coming Messiah many, many millenniums beforehand. God, who has spoken in the past, the writer of the Hebrews says, he's spoken to him in the past. In these last days, he has spoken to us by the revelation of his son, Jesus Christ. And this revelation is the revelation that is the capstone to every other revelation that God reveals about himself. When he reveals Jesus to the world, this is history's climatic moment. The story of divine redemption is a story of progression up to Christ, but there is no progression beyond him. Now notice also the writer says that Christ is the heir of all things. God has spoken to us by his Son, whom he's appointed the heir of all things. This heirship was not 
accidental or an afterthought. It originates in the eternal mind of the Father. Christ alone is the one appointed by God to be Lord, possessor, and owner of all things. And when we receive Jesus Christ into our hearts by faith, the Bible says that we become heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus Christ. In other words, all the riches of the glory of God that Christ possessed become ours when by faith we put our trust in him. Moreover, you note in the text that Christ, notice, is the brightness of God's glory. That is, he is the radiance, verse 3, of God's glory. That word radiance means a flashing forth. He is the radiance of God. He's not a reflection of God. He is the radiance of God. Have you ever been following a truck or a, uh, a, a car and it's getting to be toward dusk and the light of the sun reflects off the bumper of that car in front of you and it almost blinds you uh, for a minute or two? You see, without the rays of the sun reflecting on that bumper, you would not be distracted because there would be no reflected light. Christ is not a reflection of God. He is the outshining of the glory of God. He is light in all dimensions. One of the attributes of Jesus Christ is that he is a God who is full of light. One of the things that excites me most about heaven is when we get to heaven, there's not going to be any electricity. It's going to be lit with the very presence of the living God. There's not going to be any night in heaven. The radiance of the glory of God is going to fill that place, and we are going to live in the perpetual light of the light of the world, Jesus Christ. You see, only Christ can take our spiritual darkness and turn it into day. And that's what the writer is saying to us. When he says Christ is the radiance of the glory of God, he outshines the glory of God. And one of these days, you and I are going to experience that outshining of the glory of God when we're in heaven with him forever and ever. Number three, <clears throat> number four, excuse me, Christ is the exact representation of God the Father. Notice it says, he is the exact representation of his being. Now, when you see that phrase, exact representation of his being, it was used in classical Greek of an engraver or one who minted coins. And later the term came to denote a tool for engraving, and still later on it meant the mark or the impression made by the engraving tool that would set it out as being unique. Hence, when the scripture refers to Christ as being the exact representation of God, it speaks to the fact that he is unique. God threw the die away after he made Christ. There's no one like him before or since. He, Jesus Christ, is the very exact reproduction, superscription of God. He is not 
God-like, he is God. He bears in his being the very nature of God. And so he wants the people here that have been scattered throughout the Roman Empire to understand that this little baby, this little baby is God's final revelation to man. He is the outshining of the brightness of the glory of God, and he is the exact representation of God. But he's not done. He not only focuses here on the person of Jesus Christ, but also on the power of this little baby. Notice verse 3. Christ is the agent of creation. Notice. And through whom he made the universe. The power that brings the universe into being, that puts all the planets in their proper orbits, who creates all these galaxies and holds them all in place, is the power of the sun that has been revealed to us through his entrance into our world. John 1.3 says, Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made, that has been made. He is the creator of all things. Everything that we enjoy today has come to us because of the power of this little baby. He is the one who is the agent of all creation. Moreover, he not only creates this wonderful universe, but he sustains his creation. Notice, he sustains, verse 3, all things by his powerful word. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 17, Paul speaks of Christ as the one in whom all things hold together. In Christ, everything comes together. He holds the planets in their orbits. The oceans are held together in their beds. Christ is the one who maintains the order and the symmetry of our universe. And it's perfect. It's complete. What he creates, he sustains. He is a God who not only loves us and has created us in his image, he's given to us a world that he holds together by the power of his almighty hand. And I will never forget a Christmas a number of years ago when the Apollo 8 astronauts were the first human beings to ever circle the moon. And as they were circling the moon over the sound system, Frank Borman, who was the commander of that space mission, began reading from Psalm 8. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, What is man that you are mindful of him? And you could see the spaceship, but out in the distance was planet Earth that had never been seen from that view before. And Borman went on to read Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It was just an amazing moment in time when these men who had never seen the moon that close up 
they were reminded of the fact that, and it was right at Christmas time when this happened. It was right at Christmas time, and they reminded the whole world that at that moment, they were experiencing grandeur of the universe of God's creation, and they read from the scriptures exactly how this wonderful world had been created. Now, if God can sustain and create the heavens, surely he can sustain and keep us, can't he? If he looks after the world that uh, holds the oceans in their beds and, and creates all these, these uh, incredible uh, mountain peaks and everything and, and maintains the symmetry of the universe, don't you think he has the power to take care of you? Don't you think he has the power to look after you the, uh, when you're going through times of struggle and difficulty? He is not only the one who takes care of us in those kind of times, but he is also our savior. He is the one who saves us. The reason why he came was to save us and to bring us into a relationship with the living God. So Christmas is not only a declaration of God's person, it's also the final revelation of God's power that he brings all things. He is the creator, the sustainer of the universe. That kind of power, listen, that kind of power is ours as Christ followers as we place our faith and our trust in the living God. He wants us at Christmas time to experience not only his presence, he wants us to experience his person, he wants us to experience his power. And that happens as we draw close to him and center our minds upon who he is. He is a person, a real being. He is God in human flesh. He is the creator, the sustainer of this universe, and he holds all things in his wonderful hands. Number two, Christmas is also a declaration of Christ's crucifixion. Notice the middle part of the verse, in verse 3. After he had provided purification for sins. This is an even greater declaration. The writer here not only tells us that this little baby is God's revelation to man of himself, not only is this little baby the creator and the sustainer of the universe, but this is the one, this little baby is the one who eventually goes to the cross and he dies for us. He is the one who went to the cross and paid the penalty for our sins. You see, we can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to save ourselves. We need a savior. We need a deliverer outside of ourselves. And that's the beauty of Christmas, that Christ has come to set us free from the bondage that sin has and all the havoc that Satan, the sin and Satan has wrought in our lives. The Bible says, if the Son sets you free, what? You are free indeed. And so this miracle, this little baby wrapped in strips of cloth, he's the living God, but he's also the one who dies for us. 
who experienced crucifixion so that we could experience freedom in Christ. You see, you can't celebrate Christmas without being reminded of the cross because overshadowing that cradle in Bethlehem was the cross. Had there been no Bethlehem, there would have been no Calvary. Had there been no Calvary, we would still be lost in our sins. There would be no salvation. We would be destined for eternal darkness and separation from God. But Christ does come. He dies. He takes the punishment we deserve. And we can experience new life in him as we confess our sins, turn away from our sins, and turn to God in full surrender. And then number three, he not only, not only dies for us, but he purifies us. Notice it says, he, after he had provided purification, that speaks of being cleansed, of being forgiven, of having the slate right, wiped clean. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. That word cleanse is the very same word that is used here in terms of purification. When Christ dies for us, he purifies us. We can't purify ourselves. We can't make ourselves acceptable to God. Only Jesus Christ through his death. And we are the recipients of the righteousness that he provides for us at the cross. He provides purification for our sins. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves, number three. He does for us what we could never do for ourselves because after he provided this purification for our sins, notice what the text says. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. You see, Christ's sacrifice on the cross was a once and for all sacrifice that never again needs to be repeated. See, there's no need to crucify Christ over and over and over again. Jesus is our high priest. He is both the offering and the offerer. He willingly gives of himself. He becomes the sin sacrifice. And he does so willingly. You see, evil men didn't kill Christ. He willingly offers himself so that he could provide eternal salvation for those of us who believe and trust him and experience this wonderful new life that is ours because of Christ. He purifies us. In the Old Testament, if you go back in the Old Testament, the Old Testament priests were always standing. They were always standing at the altar. Their work was never done. They would sacrifice animals and goats and sheep and all kinds of animals, over and over and over again, but they were always standing. But Jesus, as our high priest, in contrast to the Aaronic priesthood that we see in the Old Testament, when he offered himself and was the sin offering himself, he sits down. His work is completed. 
you and I can add one single merit to what Christ has done for us. We are saved on the basis of his sacrificial atonement on the cross for our sins. His work is finished. He is in a place of honor at the Father's own right hand. He's become the mediator between God and man. And number four, he pleads our case before the Father. He sits there at the Father's right hand, but he pleads our case. The Bible says, if anyone sin, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, if anyone sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have someone that goes and defends us against the attacks of the enemy. Let me tell you, Satan is the accuser of the brothers, but Jesus is our advocate. And our advocate is greater than our adversary. Today we see all kinds of evidence of evil and sin and iniquity. It seems like the enemy has won. I've got good news for you. He's already been defeated. He was defeated at the cross. And this Savior, this one who comes as a little baby, is our deliverer. He is the one who makes it possible for us to have life everlasting. And he looks, <coughs> excuse me, he looks after us by his wonderful grace received. Christmas is a time to remember that the cross constantly overshadows the cradle. He's the baby that was born to purify us. <coughs> and today we can experience eternal life and be guaranteed of life everlasting because Christ died for us. He paid the sin debt in full. This is a time to express our praise and our thanksgiving to him. He loves us so much. And then lastly, Christmas is a declaration of Christ's coronation. Notice, last part, <clears throat> verse 4. Verse 3, the last part, he sits down at the right hand of the majesty. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to them. Because Christ is faithful in carrying out the Father's will by shedding his own blood, he has provided a much superior sacrifice. That word superior is translated in other passages in the book of Hebrews as the word better. In fact, that word better is referred to some 19 times in the New Testament, and 13 of those 19 times takes place in this epistle. In fact, Dr. Merrill Tenney of Wheaton College says that Hebrews is the epistle of better things. Jesus is a better messenger. 
He's a better priest, a better mediator. He has accomplished something better for us. He's made possible a better covenant. He's provided a better sacrifice. Look, for example, in chapter 9, beginning at verse 13. Notice what the writer says. Uh, let's, let's look up at verse 12. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered through the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, not by the blood of goats and bulls, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonial unclean, sanctify them so that they are worthy clean. Here it is, underscore in your Bibles. How much more then will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself cleanse your conscience from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of the new covenant that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. This is something that we can grab onto. This is something that is real. Because of who Christ is, he is the better high priest. He is the one who provides a better way, a better covenant. And here he's described as he has become much superior. He's much better than all the angels. Remember, <clears throat> the angels are created beings. But Jesus always was. He always will be. Jesus is not a created being. He has been part of the triune God from eternity past all the way to eternity future. And so because of who he is, because of what he's provided, the Bible says that God exalts the Son above all others. He exalts them above all angels. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some of these days, these atheists and those who have poked fun at you as being a believer, they're going to have to bow at the feet of Jesus. He is supreme. He is in a place of exaltation. He has fulfilled the Father's will. He is in a place where he's been coronated as the most superior one of all. Because of who he is and because of what he does for us in making salvation real. Making it possible for us to experience his life forever and ever. Now, many in our world today don't understand the significance of Christmas. <clears throat> uh, they just think it's another time to party and have a day off from work, uh, to give gifts. To uh, <clears throat> they, they don't understand. But for many in our world, uh, a Christmas is empty and lifeless. And many today in today's world identify with a character in Sartre's humanistic novel entitled Nausea. And in that novel, Sartre writes, 
nothing happens. There are no new beginnings. Days are tacked on to days with no rhyme or no reason. An interminable, monotonous addition. There is nothing, absolutely no reason for existing, unquote. That is a description of a person who has missed the whole meaning of Christmas. But Christmas today cries out, Sart, you are wrong. There is a reason for this season, and it's found in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that little baby in Bethlehem, is our prophet, he is our priest, and yes, he is our king. That's what he's talking about here in this passage. And as our prophet, Jesus is God's final word to man. There's no new revelation being given today. The full and complete revelation of God has been encompassed in that baby who has been given as a gift to the whole world. He has changed everything. We can't add anything to the finished work of Jesus Christ. He's not only our prophet, but he is our priest. He's provided forgiveness and cleansing. Even after we come to know him, we mess up. And the Bible says, again, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not only our prophet and our priest. (coughs) He's also our king. He sits enthroned in a place of honor today at the Father's own right hand. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. He was spit upon. He bore all the sins of the generations past and even those of future generations. But because he was obedient, the Bible says, even to the point of death, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is superior to all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. My friends, one of the joys of heaven, we will spend an eternity adoring the one who loved us and gave himself for us. Let's stand together. Shall we please closing prayer? Lord Jesus, we come to you today recognizing who you are. You are the living God. You have made yourself known to us. You have done everything possible for us to experience new life with you. You have made purification available. We don't have to remain in our sinful condition. We can pass from death unto life. We can move from darkness to light. 
we can move from condemnation to redemption as we put our faith and our trust in the one who was given so the world could be changed. And that the history books of the world could be rewritten. All of history revolves around your coming, your death on the cross, and yes, your, your soon return. And Lord, the prophets and the sages had talked about your coming for millenniums before, for hundreds and hundreds of years before the actual event. And there were many that wondered, would the Messiah ever be born? But yes, he was. He was born into our world that he might be reborn in our hearts this morning. And so I'm just going to ask you to just spend a few quiet moments. If you've never really ask Jesus to be your Savior, your Lord, and your Master, that this morning you would say, Lord Jesus, I need you. I can't live my life apart from you any longer. I've tried and I've failed, but this morning I'm surrendering to you. You just pray a simple prayer like that. You can leave this place of worship, a brand new person. And Jesus will take over the rulership, the reign of your life. And you can have the confidence that you belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You need to make that decision this morning. Let's just spend a few quiet moments and then I'll lead us in our closing prayer. If you'd like to talk to me after the service, I'd be more than happy to share with you as well. So let's just quiet our hearts. If you've not made room in your heart for this special baby, make room today. Father in heaven, we do love you this morning. You are our king. You are our high priest. You are our advocate. You were the one that bore our sins so that we could be set free. And we cannot thank you enough. We love you so much. We adore you. We worship you. And I pray for anyone who has still not made a commitment of their life to you that even in these quiet moments, they would say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I surrender all to you. I need you. You promised at, that if we would come to you just as we are, you would never cast us aside. You'd welcome us into your family and we'd become part of the family of God and have the assurance of everlasting life. Thank you for that great hope of Christmas. The hope is not anchored in some kind of a fantasy. It's anchored in the reality of the fact that you have spoken. You made yourself known to us 
You've paid the penalty for our sin. And today you're watching over us, encouraging us to be more like you. Thank you for your presence. We love you so much. Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning and Maranatha. Lo, he comes. Merry Christmas. Have a great day in Jesus. God bless you.